Vai tava problēma ir tā, ka es sievieta? Mēs to atrisināsim. Mīrās dāmas un cilvēki. Esiet sveicināti podkāstā starp mums, meitenēm runājot ar Džēmu Sudrabu. Jā, tātad Pāves nedēļa un mums ir podkāsti ieraksts un mūsu viesas ir, ir Veronika Feltis. Un tas, šis būs pirmais podkāsts, kas rāng velodā, jo nesvēties to, ka Veronika lieliski runā, lieliski runā latviešu valodā. Viņa tomēr tā kā baidās, atcīmēr, ka es uzdošu kāds sarežģītas jautājums par kristietību, lai gan es neko neēdzu par kristietību. Un tad, nu, ka viņai būs jāatbild kaut kā sarežģīti. Un ar Veroniku, piemēram, mēs iepazināmies ekosektā, kas ir tiešās pirkšanas pūciņš. Es biju ļoti pārsteigt uzzināt, ka viņi ir kristieti. Man šis notiek ļoti bieži, piemēram, kad es uzzināju, ka Inga Gaila ir kristieti. Man likās, o, cik šis ir dīvaini. Man jebkurā, jebkurā brīdī, kad ir kāds cilvēks, kas nav nu, gluži traks, man uzreiz liekas, ak, Dievs, kas ir, kā tas ir iespējams, kad šis cilvēks ir kristiets un tā. Nu, lūk, man ļoti zemes, zem, nu, zemes prasības pret kristiešiem būtu tā. Un, bet varbūt vienkārši arī šaušalīgi pieredze. Nu, es varbūt, bet diezgan noteikti šaušalīgi pieredze. Tad mēs šo turpināsim angļu valodā. Un, un tad es... Tāpēc arī, ka tas ir mana pirma saruna par sieviešu lomu baznīca yeah. vispār. So, Poland is kind of the, the worst case scenario for women where to be. So, how do you feel? Uh, do you often have to kind of make excuses for Poland or Polish government or Polish women uh, when you're here in Latvia? Well, first of all, uh, we're still speaking of Europe. So, it's first uh, world problems. And it's definitely not the worst place for women to be. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, really depends on what kind of uh, dimension we're speaking about women. Um, I wouldn't feel like I've felt anyhow oppressed living in Poland. So I don't feel like I need to say sorry, uh, constantly being in, in, in Latvia. But obviously the conservative and very right-wing and very manipulative government of Poland right now is a major problem and lots of people, both women and men, are quite disheartened that lots of our protests on streets, which are in fact unifying people, whether Catholics or not, uh, are not working and the government is doing anything and everything against the society. So. Uh, so it's a painful topic, but it's not necessarily only a matter of, of women's rights. But what is happening with the abortion laws? Can you kind of tell a bit more? That, that is definitely the first question that everyone asks yeah. me in Latvia. <laughs> if, if you're Polish, then you need to answer this question. Um, obviously, uh, as, as the conservative government, which is trying to have an affair and is definitely trying to flirt with the Catholic Church, um, and trying to be attractive to the conservative part of the Catholic Church, and I will explain those differences later a bit, was trying to restrict the law on abortion. And it's very difficult, actually, in 21st century, in a situation also which is um, not often spoken, but, as you know, probably the great eminence of the Peace Party in Poland, uh, the leading party is Kaczynski, Jarosław Kaczynski. Um, and his brother's wife, the first lady, was also against restricting abortion. So we had three different 
uh, very from from very different background first ladies who have also spoken out another time when she li lived the the first lady Kaczynska was also speaking against any restriction additional restrictions on abortion law so some of them were atheists, some, one, was, one was atheist, Catholic and a, and a middle progressive Catholic, but all of them agreed that the current law in Poland, Polish, Poland which is Catholic to very large extent society, um, has the law that abortion is um, allowed theoretically and legally in a situation when the child is deeply disabled when the mother's um, life is uh, at, at the threat and when a woman is raped. Obviously, the, um, the tries, the attempts to restrict that law also have um, um, started the discussion how it really works in practice, right? And whether some of the manipulation is not going through and how women experience that law, that very often something is being prolonged, especially after those 12 weeks when you cannot have abortion anymore, in order to make a woman to give birth, whether to disabled child or whether being raped or so on. So there's lots of pitfalls in, in this legal system, obviously, as in many other legal systems in any country. Um, but I don't think this has been uh, solved, ultimately, on either of the sides. It's just ongoing discussion and there's always a threat because the government cannot go against so much the, ch uh, the, 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 the society because we were really standing up and in the beginning, the black marches in Poland were unifying both very leftist atheist women with very Catholic women, which worked together fighting for women's rights. But but it's it's still a question how, how which way it will go. Is it possible to support abortion and be a Catholic? First of all, I very much dislike the division to pro-choice and pro-life. Um, I believe. And maybe I'm naive in that because I'm not the sociologist which has done research on this topic. But I believe it's not the first choice of a woman to have abortion, right? Firstly, she would go for contraception if she doesn't want to have children, right? And then she would really kind of make that decision consciously that she wants to have an abortion. But that's not very much a choice. That's often a situation that you're finding, finding yourself in. And the question is whether really you are able to allow yourself financially, psychologically, however to have that kid, right? And it's also the question of pro-life, pro-whose life as well. So that's first thing. I'm, I'm definitely against having a free law on abortion, but being a sociologist that also kind of gives you the insight into complexity of the society. So although personally, I'm now pregnant with the third child, and that's my privileged decision to have in a happy relationship uh, the third child. I think it's also a matter of huge privilege that many women cannot allow themselves to be in. And, and the problem is that many times women who are against abortion are women who don't understand 
that there's a whole variety of spectrum of situations that women are finding themselves pregnant and they cannot make that decision so freely, so lovably or however. So it's extremely important to understand a matter of privilege, whether that's financial or stability of relationship or, or whatever else. So to sum up, I think it's easy to decide on your own personal level, but to push for for societal um, laws, it's a, it's a very different matter and I'm extremely cautious with that as a sociologist. Well, Catholic Church kind of is the one of the most conservative powers in Europe and, and with, uh, you know, big political... And you're a Catholic because you're from Poland, but you're also a feminist. I don't understand. Like, <laughs> well, why? Well, I often uh, compare my uh, f my uh, denomination identity as as my nationality. I haven't chosen that. I was baptized as Catholic, but then through very lucky life path. I have met lots of fantastic Catholics who have really taught me to critically think and and created the atmosphere, the context for me to kind of freely discuss and reflect and sometimes protest and then give myself time to realize how I want to think about some issues. Mm. And to really not feel that everything is black and white. So that's that's one thing that in my generation, lots of women obviously left Catholic Church in Poland, around the globe. Um, and I think what kind of made me stay is, is the fact that I had a very good environment to raise my faith in critical thinking. Um, and obviously the second thing is that you have more and more material and, and, and things to read to become a feminist. And, and it's, I think it's still possible, but it's becoming more and more difficult for higher educated women to omit feminism anyhow. <laughs> so I think even if there are higher educated women who don't want to, self, to call themselves feminists, they they still need to make the effort not to be, <laughs> I think so. And, um, and for me, as I told you, I would like to also define myself, how, I call, uh, how I'm calling myself feminist, is first of all, just simply thinking about the equality in the society and how I, with my women identity, um, can influence and should be changing the relationships between men and women in the society, between me and men at work, me and my partner, me and my um, raising a daughter and raising a son. You know, there's lots of thinking and reflection that needs to be done, and it's still being done majority of the time by women to make also men reflect, and men also reflect more and more on how they should be transforming their masculinity and what is the toxic masculinity in which they often automatically and uh, dwell and are being socialized into. But uh, is it easy for you here in Latvia to find peers 
who are Christians and also feminists. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem with the with the Christian and Catholic feminist is like the problem with the whole Latvian society. You will find them, but they will never speak up publicly. And they w don't want to have their um, identity uh, discovered. You know, they often feel like they, in a small group, which is also sociologically explainable, um, don't want to risk their work relations or some kind of, you know, attachments within the minority group, which is the, the religious group of Catholics or Lutheran. This is not how they see themselves, I think. <laughs> you know, well, well, the question is whether that's how the the believers see themselves or the leadership, right? Yeah. That's also a different thing. Um, but, but yeah, I definitely find uh, very much uh, feminist and the Christian feminists here as well. Although, as I as I said already in the beginning, there is much more open discussion and critical thinking in the Polish Catholic Church and much more of the literature and articles I'm finding either in States or in Poland, whereas I definitely can discuss that also here, but not publicly. Well, some, uh, some of my friends who are Christians and who have come out with like radical views, for example, voting for political party Progressivia in Latvia, which is... Uh, Anyhow, the, the political, the progressive political party is very pro LGBT rights, and uh, I I think it's very hard actually to be in such a political party and still be Christian and and expose your radical views uh, on social media because you know people are shocked and you get into discussions you never wanted to have. Oh, if to expose anything about my husband, he's also recently a Christian became, um, but um, uh, well. I think it's a major... So you evangelized he, your husband? Yeah, I mean, he did that himself somehow. <laughs> I, I, I thought I'm going to leave it to him, but yeah, he did that. But when it comes to homosexuality in Latvia, that's a very interesting uh, and complex problem, I, I perceive. First of all, before I ever thought about Christianity in Latvia, I perceived that the society as such has a very big problem with homosexuality here and is very homophobic. On the, on the most you know, ingrained subconscious level, uh, in a sense that families which are non-related to any religion uh, you know, are just joking among men like, oh, don't be gay, gay. Oh, you're yeah. so gay or something right and uh, and then i've heard that there are also opinions of the leaders of the church that are very homophobic and and in general i don't think that the christians are very much discussing homosexuality although the funnily enough pope francis also was meeting with homosexual and transgender people and saying openly which was very much quoting widely globally that this is the way god has created them which is not very revolutionary because the science already showed us that it is just a biological thing. But, you know, taking into account how many recovery treatments have Christians uh, created for homosexuals, the fact that the Pope has said that this, that this is the way people were created is, I think, revolutionary for those who are not convinced by science. 
Um, I'm not sure that they always reflect on that. That's a different matter. But for example, what really helped me at the time when I was thinking, okay, so what is going on with homosexuality and how I should be thinking about that as a highly educated person? Uh, there is a very good book um, in Polish about homosexual Christians. And explaining as well, just giving voice to people who are reflecting both on their um, sexual orientation and on their faith and kind of, you know, how they experience some oppression, how they finding freedom in believing in God. And there's so big spectrum of, of differences. People who were heard as homosexuals by church and don't want to have anything to do with it. And some people who are living in a homosexual relationship and they're going every day to, I mean, every Sunday to church because they believe it really helps them to be Christian. So, again, I really don't want to generalize, but what homework there is for Christian is also to give voice, to listen, to meet up, to, to understand and definitely to take for granted that this is a biological thing that you cannot be cured of, and that's also already proven. So you said that uh, overall in Latvian society, you see that there's bigger homophobia and, you know, basically fears from something different, like non-white or non-heterosexual or non-men. Is there a possibility that they have overtaken the discussion? To what extent the leadership of church is outspeaking the fears and uh, and and the feeling of being threatened of the whole community of church is is very difficult even to research probably it's 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 very complicated issue with 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 homophobia in in latvia i think i mean maybe i'm really putting things into extreme words saying like homophobia in latvia but i mean I experienced that differently being in Poland because obviously there definitely are people who are uh, very much discriminating homosexual people. But on the other hand, the society is probably bigger and more diverse in Poland or, or you have bigger Russian minority than we have any connections to the Russian culture and Russian people have very strong masculinity a myth and, and a stereotype that you need to be, you know, strong heterosexual men and so on. It's it's difficult to explain. There are definitely multiple factors, and the very conservative part of the much smaller Catholic Church in Latvia is not probably helping because what I perceive here is that sociologically the, there is a process of the fact that you are a minority in a, in, a in a country. Same like in Poland, you have Catholics like everywhere. Everyone is baptized. The question is where, at what point they're becoming atheists, right? <laughs> but um, but in, a, in a Latvia, you have a minority group which to unify, to, which to, to be coherent group, they need to kind of agree on some basics and some norms. So maybe that's why they're more conservative than in, uh, in Poland, right? And if you speak up differently, if you start to be critically thinking, then you are pushing yourselves on the margins, which is also very natural in any sort of minority group. 
So, you know, conservative when it comes to any kind of outliers or anything that is different in the society is probably not helpful. Well, I used to have this idea that you need to leave your brains before you enter the church. Have you ever had this feeling? No. I, but this is, again, my privileged position of being someone who is reading a lot, who had um, multiple contacts and with, with people who are very critically thinking and openly criticizing church, but, again, wanting to do it from the inside and from the loving position and caring position to improve it. But, I mean, like in any spiritual place, like in any um, chapel of any sort of denomination, same like for Muslims, probably Jewish people, Buddhists, whoever, you're not going there to kind of intellectually uh, grow, but rather to spiritually experience something. Obviously, there's so much of theological books or you know things that you can read. Sometimes, really, the sermon can help you to understand things and, and so on. But the main thing and the main focus in any spiritual life of a person is to experience something that is giving you that catharsis feeling. Džēmas podkāstā mēs runājam par seksu, resnu, tievu, mākslu, literatūru, bērniem, karjeru, lūdzkļiem un jebkopa vidu. Starp mums meitenēm runājot ar Džēmu Sudrabu. Do you remember there was this one discussion in Lampa? We both were present and, uh, and uh, there was one woman participating. She was from Svētās Dimensmāja, she was a wife and a mother of five children and then there were three uh, priests. And uh, I, I acted horribly during that discussion because I was like, I was, it made me so angry. The, the whole discussion, so the discussion was about can Christian values solve the demographic crisis in Latvia? Um, they are very demeaning towards women, I think. They see women as someone who can only, you know, be a wife and give birth. And uh, that discussion made me so angry. And, but you were happy after this discussion. You said, thank you. Thank you. That was such a nice discussion. And I thought, I hate you, Veronica. Like, how could you? Did I? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was co-organizing that, uh, that um, discussion. But I think I also very much liked it because you were so uh, angry. And there was some <laughs> exchange of a critical thought. Because definitely it was not just... Because um, the discussion was clearly with a very clear thesis to convince others. And in general, as, as someone who was closely connected to university, I'm, I, I don't value much any sort of you know, political, leftist, rightist, conservative or Catholic um, panel when you really want to sell something instead of really allowing people to speak up. So I liked that you were a participant of the discussion and, and I don't think it was humiliating. Um, well, I was not giving the microphone back. You can understand how it was. It was the catch box, so I couldn't like really hold on to it. And then when a lady came to me and said, I think that's enough questions. We should give an opportunity to others. I gave it to my friend and she asked some other mean questions that were not answered. Well, I was also volunteering in the Svetas Dimenes Maya teaching Polish there. And, um, and I think... Uh, 
it's a it's a different question about Christian family planning and 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 a, and a Christian role of a woman. I thought of the only joke I could give you in the Catholic Church and speaking about as as your previous guest was also saying about the very hurtful situation of of women in the in the church. Mm. And and um, I've recently read uh, with the Polish feminist theologian very good interview, um, explaining uh, that many people think that the John Paul II has started to speak about feminism in the Catholic Church because he started to write something what was called new feminism, and um, that is coming from his theology of body. And, and he started to write up kind of new theory of feminism. But in fact, now after years of common reflection and intellectual effort in theology, we know that it was still and again trying to make uh, clear the difference between the women and the men. And, and I think in Poland, Justyna Malonowska was very nicely um, also explaining that you cannot fully perceive a person if you have already prelimin preliminary tasks for the person that's not giving a full freedom to the person. If you're saying that women are supposed to be devoted to motherhood, some form of motherhood, then you're not giving them the free choice um, equal to men about how they want to spend their life. And... Uh, and if you divide, uh, if you define that by their vagina, there's another book of of I think American sister who was uh, writing a very good about sexual education for Christians, and she was saying also that the clitoris, which is purely for women's pleasure, is also created by God. So, you know, the whole discourse would be very different. If we stop uh, defining women by their vagina and uterus, and that is supposed to be giving children to the earth, or you define them by clitoris, right? Mm -hmm. There was this guy who was giving a lecture, and he was. Uh, he said there are so many women who haven't felt an orgasm during intercourse, and it's normal because they only feel happy when they become pregnant. I'm oh, sorry, Linda, you. but I don't think I you have a comment try. to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot of sexual education that I think, not to get very personal, but any adult coming from any society needs to do. And I don't think, and maybe that's all right, that you don't have sexual education on... on um, satisfying level in school and that you need to do the homework yourself but in fact both sexes any sexes and for each other sexes needs to learn what means pleasure for me what means pleasure for him or her and how do we exchange that um, so yes I think sexual education is very limited, whether in the religious society uh, as it is in Poland or in the Latvian society. But there is also very limited um, teaching on uh, self-safety, on uh, kind of sexual possible abuse, 
on making it safe from that perspective. So I don't think if we speak about Latvia that Latvians like to speak about sex whatsoever. When I started the women's stand-up, so we have this thing that we do before uh, we go on stage and we join our hands together and we say, vagina, vagina. And I found it really hard actually, because to say uh, a dick is like, it feels like kind of natural. And then saying vagina or a clitoris makes me like, well, not, 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 not anymore, you know. <laughs> but uh, the women's standard has really helped me with that. But uh, otherwise, I think you're right that we kind of, especially when it concerns women, it, you know, we're more reluctant to speak about women. And... Um, yeah, I, I found as someone who's over 30 that it's very difficult actually to speak even with your girlfriends in a serious manner and exchange knowledge if it's not just like giving the other book, right? But really saying about experiences, how do you experience sex? What kind of limitations you have? Like what kind of advices you can get, right? Because obviously each of us is, is different. And believe me, I've watched a video on mast female masturbation recently just to get the theoretical level. <laughs> oh my God, this is just like every one of you is different. And the same way is that one of the most famous TED Talks about what the women is getting orgasms from. You can have it from brushing teeth, some of the women, like there was a scientist, women scientists who were saying like, you can get it from the brushing teeth or from very different things. So we are horribly, horribly, wonderfully on the other hand, complex creatures, right? And, and, and the beauty of that getting orgasm is coming from the fact that you need to know yourself and appreciate your body. So it's the same as also the previous guest was speaking. You need to have that self-value and self-exploration. Allow yourself freedom to feel as a woman and fully know what does it mean for you. I think we can go like, so we had like these two things that we needed to talk about. One is... Will it change more than sex, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, tell me one thing that has gotten wrong lately. Then what is Lois's part? I was thinking about that, but the problem is I haven't ever been in uh, Kakatse on fuck-up nights, so I don't really know how to speak about that. But when I thought about that, it's it's like I always omit to write up my scientific articles, and I do it in the last possible moment or I eventually give up. That's definitely one of my fuck-ups. The second is the fact that I still don't drive a car, so I'm very much dependent on my husband. And that really makes me mad. Uh, but I still haven't done that. And it's... Me neither. I just, you know... You know, and in Riga, you don't need that. I was cycling oh. all the time here. It, you don't feel that. But now, when I'm living in the middle of nowhere, it's, it's horrible that whenever you need to go somewhere, you depend on the other person. And it's just, you know, being 30, you would like to um, be more independent. Um... And the third is probably anger management and kids. Because uh, the problem with women mothers, particularly, is that they don't really want to admit publicly their pitfalls in motherhood. They really try to be perfectionist. They definitely blame themselves for, for many disadvantages. And their children, when they become teenagers, also blame them <laughs> uh, for things. But... Um, 
but we don't really discuss it in a constructive way. So I've been in some Catholic uh, and you discuss so many things that you can like do better, cook better, uh, raise better, but you don't really discuss like, I cannot do it anymore, right? They just sucking off my energy or I cannot manage, I'm just screaming inside or I need more wine or <laughs> you know, anything what feels natural to, to share. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, against any stereotype, this is me in our family, definitely, who needs more anger management. And there is also kind of, there's a lot of pressure that you put on to yourself. And maybe if you're well-educated, then you have really high expectations towards yourself. Yeah, but you also have a higher val- self-value and you also easier reflect on yourself. So that gives you the instruments to be and stay sane. Whereas I think many women who don't have some uh, wide network of of friends or don't have those self-reflection critical thinking tools about the current day motherhood, they really struggle, right? Because there's so much pressure put on them to work, to raise kids, to, to the fact that we criticize mothers for everything, like how they feed children, how they raise them, how much of phones they watch, how much of television they watch, and you, and you feel like oppressed with everything what you feel that is expected from you. Um, in one of the podcasts that we had, uh, there was Jana Kukain, and we were talking about the big pressure on women to do everything naturally. So to push yourself for natural birth, although you really don't feel like that. And you really would want to, you know, be sedated and just, you know, someone doing a cesarean on you and just, you know, just getting the child out of you ASAP. Uh, and uh, but women heal, you know, they're going to these courses and they're reading the books and they have the pressure to do it naturally and then uh, breastfeed naturally, although it's sometimes not, it's not working and it's, it hurts and it really limits you and limits your career or, you know, your ability actually to go out of the house for more than two or three hours for more than a year. And uh, women feel a lot of pressure kind of to do everything naturally because it's the modern thing. But at the end of the day... That's called eco-fascism. Eco-fascism. That is true. <laughs> but isn't this like what, what you're supposed to do in Smilton in your eco-sect where you're living? I'm definitely not going to give birth at home, which is quite <laughs> popular among eco-shmiko women in Latvia. Um, because I feel much safer in the hospital. I very much respect that some women choose to give birth at home, but, but you know, I think um, what is most important when we still speak about motherhood is the fact that that you care the most and prioritize that relationship to a child. If you're going to hate the child because it's going to, I don't know, widen your vagina or you need to go, go through the horrible natural birth, don't do that because you're going to put that pro- project that on a child in the future. If your breast is hurting like hell and it just doesn't work between you and the child, don't do that because obviously everyone will tell you that this is the most natural, healthy and blah, blah, blah. It is. But if it's going to spoil your relationship with that child, that's going to traumatize the child, I think, more having that mom who is stressed, unhappy, struggling, 
you know, there's so much of vulnerability for women in those first years of, of, of motherhood with any child, because it's every time new relationship, that you really need to care for your own sanity for the sake of building a healthy relationship with a child. And it completely does not matter how ecological you're going to take it. For me, always the, the most shocking part was that I was thinking like, okay, giving birth at home and then your neighbors hear you screaming for 24 hours. How's like the relationship between you and your neighbors going to work out like when you, you know? <laughs> about, about that, I would not care. Like if you don't know by now how fucking much it aches, then you should learn. <laughs> because it really is not easy. <laughs> but for me, the main thing about raising children is to build up trust that you want good and if you if you uh, fall somehow and you, and you and you see that you get in a conflict with the child you're also able to say sorry and reflect and you show to a child i'm trying um and and i'm not always doing only good things right mom is also you know getting angry at you shouting at you this is sometimes coming from my tiredness sometimes coming from me not being able to find a good solution but also at the time when you are able to reflect, to say sorry and say, this was not okay. I'll try to be better the next time. So that's one thing. You, you show forgiveness, you ask for forgiveness and you show critical thinking, right? And you also build up the trust between Chad. So I think in that relationship, what is extremely important is trust and forgiveness. And then when, you, when they're going to grow up, they're definitely going to criticize you for everything what is possible building up their, their own identity and trying to cut off that, that connection with you to, to go out into the world. But they're going to be able to forgive, understand, forgive, and build up that trust. And that's my only hope. Because I'm no expert. I'm also experimenting here. Or, you know, investing in their education so that they have enough money to, to pay for the therapist. And therapist helps you know figure all the stuff out i see a lot of that in the latvian society the belief that the therapist will help you and you just need to earn enough but i don't think it's really working well for example with my mother what, what really helped has it really helped you that you, you know you are now a mother and kind of to be more appreciative of your own mother and Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I in the beginning when I started to have small kids, I really hated her much more. But then, but then realizing how much of effort is that and how many pitfalls they see in me uh, and how many things of their features is annoying me, that really makes you understand as well and be much more tender towards your mom. You know, I think, I think there's always a space to come back to each other in any kind of relationship as long as, as you allow for that reflection and empathy. Um, my recent experience, for example, was that I was molested in my childhood. And for a very long time, as any child, and the same is with the, with the scandals in the Catholic Church, that the sociological part of it I mentioned, that people don't speak up for a very long time because they just push it out from their memory, or they're embarrassed, or they know they won't find social understanding among their closest people and the trust. So for a long time, 
you live it out and then you start to struggle at some point, right? Like whether you have small kids and you start to worry about them, which I also uh, spoke about with some Latvians here, or, or at some other point that you, you are made by life to reflect on that. And, and it is often that you kind of come back to that situation and you think like how it is that my parents haven't protected me from that, why it happened exactly to me, what was so special about me that it happened to me. Although my case is completely not related to Catholic Church, but, but the thing is kind of the, the, the sociological process of that is same, whether that's a matter of, of children and priests or matter of children and their own fathers or the children and completely someone else, which is a trusted friend of the family or whoever, right? But we anyway don't discuss that. And, um, and, and uh, although we have some social actions and more and more discussion in Poland about that, there's very little done uh, here in Latvia to speak up and protect children even in a, in, a, in a, you know, secular society from that. And in my case, it also, after years and years, opened up that I'm a second generation of abused child. So that person who have did that, some kind of prolonged that, was also an abused child. So, you know, this is some kind of complexity in a society that we still have the challenge to solve and to speak up and, and start up a dialogue and better protect our children. And I think there's a big con concentration on this stranger danger. And uh, there's, I think it's really scary to talk about pedophilia or, or child molesting, because uh, it's mostly done by people you trust. Yes, it's scientifically proven yeah, that it's either family or it's trusted friends who visit the house very often. Yeah, so that means kind of going against the idea uh, of a traditional family as being the safest place where a child can grow up. So I think that for many, also Christians, it's, uh, it might be really hard actually to think about family as being not the safest place for many children. Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. I mean, my family... My family was a Catholic family and we spoke a lot about sex because my parents really wanted to get us prepared for that. But I imagine that very often religion is something that is stopping people from speaking anything about their sexuality. And then the problem starts to appear as well that you, you just don't share anything about that sphere. And, uh, and yeah, um. There is a fantastic movie, and when all those scandals started to appear in August, I, I started to watch movie, and sometimes really art help, helps you to go through the catharsis moment. So what really helped me was two movies um, from Ireland, which is a fascinating country when it comes to religion and the transformation of, it the, kind of, of gives the society. Hope for me, at least. And uh, so one is from 90s, and it's called Priest, which is about homosexual priest and, uh, and the second priest which is working in the same parish and how that homosexual priest is experiencing the fact that the child has came to the confession and tell that he's sexually abused by father. And he experienced the dilemma that he cannot share it because it was confession, right? There is a secret of confession. But on the other hand, he needs to protect that child and how he tries to protect that child. It's absolutely a masterpiece. It's a beautiful movie speaking about social 
complexity of, of, of speaking up and accepting homosexuality in the society, in the small community, but also opening up the, the Pandora box of sexual abuse in the family and so on. And the second movie was about Calvary, um, which is like a few years ago uh, made, also about priest, which is a very honest guy, but he meets up with the sexual abuse victim who hates the priesthood for the fact what was done to him. And it's also very much a, a story of kind of, you know, trust, relation and forgiveness. So I, I recommend art when it comes to complex stories, not only speaking uh, uh, with some experts who are trying to bullshit. But, <laughs> but are you kind of afraid to let your kids be close to Catholic priests? No, I, I definitely, the thing is, I'm probably maniacally, uh, obsessively read about those scandals uh, to understand as well who is at the threat. And it's not only children, it's also seminarists, it's also nuns and, you know, trying orphanages led by Catholic Church and so on and so on. So that is being opened up. But, for example, Netherlands have wrote up the report on historical problem from Second World War to now. Uh, Germany has published the Catholic Church, which is also funded by, by taxpayers to some extent. It's also written a report on the sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. On one hand, yes, it's opening up. On the other hand, it's finally opening, opening up and we can discuss it and we can do something about that. And people start to be aware that they cannot just sit and, you know, push some one or two euro expecting that their whole institution will change. They need to get involved and engaged. Um, but, but I experienced so many different pr uh, friendships with priests, both in uh, Poland and in Latvia and elsewhere. Are they absolutely fantastic people? So it's also important to know that scientifically it is proven in very different countries with all those reports that is five to seven percent of all priesthood. It's horrible with any case and every case. It's horrible that it was covered up, that the problems are not uh, resolved, that people often don't focus on victims and on helping victims. But it's still a very small percentage. Nu ko drag likes musicalai pause. Can you tell me about uh, the song by Natalia Orkish? This is my sister, and um, and I think I wanted to show this uh, wonderful poem of my dad, which is a romantic poem, but I also perceive it on the on a note of gender equality and a beautiful uh, arrangement of it in a song of my sister. Um, also because she's a starting theatrical director and she recently directed a, a play on Gender Unplugged, which gained some awards in Poland, on showing up that in the music history, we very much speak about uh, male composers but we don't see women in that history whatsoever. So she really tried to dig up in a very comedian style, because it's a comedy that play, um, to dig up the names of very influential women composers. Oh. 
Tak jak dwie gwiazdy archipelagu Jak dwa uśmiechy jednej w Japonii Jak w korcu, jak w korcu maku Wielu dróg, wielu dróg, ścieżek donikąd Wśród wielu gwiazd, wielu gwiazd i błędnych ogni Jak dwa odbicia ogromnej rzeki Sobie podobni
think when if we still relate somehow to religion is that Natalie is someone who was very similarly raised as I was and she didn't have that outer environment support in a church so reflecting as an adult woman as many are reflecting in Poland on their own situation in the Catholic Church and it often happens sociologically again that, you know, explainable in a way that you are being raised like a little child and all goes well and you go through up to the puberty and then you start to have relationship with boys and then you start to have a serious relationship and you start to you know think about your sexuality and start to be active and all of that starts to be having more and more restrictions and oppressions on you so fighting for your own autonomy and independence this is a major dilemma for all women who find themselves in the catholic church and uh, and so so she left the church eventually um but but what is major pitfall i think also in the catholic church now is that you never relate to those women you never ask them in any sociological research you would come back to the respondents who have you know didn't fill the survey didn't participate in something and ask them why like what caused the fact that you skipped it so because it's very clear it's satan no but it like <laughs> but <laughs> even the, i know that the thing is you can learn so much more by learning on your own mistakes as well right and to understand what is going wrong so it's it's a double pitfall of the catholic church first of all it doesn't listen to the, those women who want to stay in it but also doesn't listen to those women who uh, who's eventually leaving it so on the one hand you're losing huge educational potential intellectual potential in the church because they leave and secondly women sociologically are the ones who are in any sort of religion uh, socializing children also socializing children into their faiths whatever faith that is so you also not prolonging the history of believers right you're not making the next generation of believers because women leave it out because they lose their faith and and they start their own individual faith crises so that's a it's it's like playing with fire at this moment in the history right very hopeful <laughs> i'm very good in the apocalyptic yes, stories i really like <laughs> such endings actually uh the you know it's like the latvian soul the negativity it really like fits fits into that 